and now still in love with the X, the podcast for anyone who has ever been to Exeter University. Stand by for your hosts, Alex Borchardt and first, Tony Hall. And episode one, where it began, I can't begin to know. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is. Welcome to Still in Love with the X. They say you spend your first week at university trying to get to know everybody and the rest of your time trying to get rid of them. Well, after 34 years, we've decided to get the band back together. We are recording this in September 2023. We both arrived at Exeter University in October 1989. And who are we? My name is Tony Horn. I'm in Lancashire. And my friend Alex Borchard is in Exeter. Hi. So, to arrive at October 1989, we probably have to go back to 1987, 1988, when it all gets a bit serious in the sixth form, and you've got to start mapping out your future. Arguably, the most life-changing decision I ever made was to go to Exeter. That story will unravel. Alex, do you see it as the same? And how on earth did you arrive at putting down Exeter? Was it a first choice? Was it a logical choice? Was it a parentally approved choice? And what did your teachers at school suggest you do? Well, the answer to all but the last question is yes. What I love about (laughs) the way things went is it just, It was inevitable, I think. I am the son of a a doctor. My father's a retired GP and paediatrician. My mother was a nurse, both of them in London, until I was born. She gave it up to have me, and then along came my brother and sister later. I wanted to be an electrician when I was seven years old. I loved electrical wiring. I loved electronics. My father said, I think you can do better than that. And the expectation <laughs> was that I was going to be a doctor. Um, my uncle was a GP. Um, his three sons, my cousins, they're all doctors. My son, very proud to say, graduated from Leicester University. He doesn't like me talking about it, but he did. I'm very proud of him that he has attained a superb result following his two A's and an A star at A level. He's a newly qualified doctor, but it was expected I would be a doctor. And I thought, if I'm going to be a doctor, I want to be a GP. I love the idea of a nice practice in the countryside, like Pershaw and Worcestershire. Which, which is still, where you're from. <laughs> absolutely. And still out. My parents still live in the same house. Uh, 50 years this December since we moved you, in. So your plan was to shaft your dad of the local GP throne. <laughs> I don't recall that being the wording they used at the time, but that was the expectation. <laughs> there was one problem. I am rubbish at exams of course in our day they were o levels we had o levels ordinary levels and a levels which we still have the advanced levels i think gcse's came in in 88 because when i was in the sixth form i had to do a token spanish o level and it was a gcse i'm still working my token spanish o level 
is about as far as I can go. So but, what um, A-levels were you doing What at the time? Physics, physics which was my favourite subject, and chemistry, which I hated. I was told by my housemaster, Mr. Turner, <laughs> uh, who died recently, fantastic man, incredibly strict mathematician. He considered anybody who didn't understand calculus and differential equations as just being completely and utterly moronic. Very high standards. He said, if you want to do physics at university, you really ought to do maths and chemistry as well as your physics. Maths, physics, brilliant idea. Chemistry, stupid idea. Hated it, got an E. Passed it, only just. Funny enough that my friends that got into Cambridge, they typically got four A's or three A's and a D. Anybody who studied chemistry did badly at my school. Chemistry had a curse. I should have done maths, physics, and German or French or economics, something useful. Yeah, we we should explain that, you know, Alex's Germanic roots yeah, in, in the family. So what you, you put down physics on what – I don't even know what they're called today, but I – in our day, it was an ACA form, wasn't it? So we had ACA for the universities and PCAS for the polytechnics. Correct. There was a little sort of red handbook, and I can remember flicking through it, and what I chose to do was not my first choice. What school did you go to? King's School, Worcester. And you know what? what? I forgot about that red handbook for 35 years until about <laughs> minutes ago. Thanks for that. King's Worcester. Cathedral School, loved it, massively strict. I grew up in uh, Chessington, home of the zoo, the world of adventures. I went to Lovelace Junior School, and then four of us passed the 11+. Andrew Biswell, Jason Lavrock, Andrew Lee, and that meant we went to Tiffin School for Boys as a girls as well. You know, if you know your schools, both Alex and my school, they, they're they not near the bottom of the list. Let's put it like that. Um, one of the pressures of Tiffin boys was that after two years, they either put you in the A form, accelerated, or the N form, yeah. not accelerated. No, normal, normal. Normal. In um, the N form, you did, you did art and chemistry. In the A form... You did Latin, and that meant that you did your O-levels a year early. Now, I, I look back on this and think, actually, it's uh, a system that has consequences later and shouldn't have been allowed. I was a July birthday, so I think I was – I must have been probably 14 when I, I did them. But it takes you into the sixth form – where I chose French, German, and Latin. And I was being tactical at that point. I didn't see any point in Latin other than understanding languages. But I knew that I had to get some good grades, and that was my best shot at, at doing so. But Alex mentioned Cambridge. My sister went to Oxford. And that it does hang over you slightly in your decision-making process. And I've got to say, all through secondary school, I, I would always get, like, top 90s in languages and then i had a shocker in 1987 where i got 57 percent in my french exam like down down 40 places in the hit parade of exams latin don't regret doing latin because the reason 
that you were asked to do Latin is perhaps because it would have helped strengthen your German, which is a very Latin-based language. And then when you come to learn Spanish or Italian, well, if you've got Latin A-level, you're halfway there because they are Latin languages. I tend to think of it more as a great opportunity to go into garden centres on a Sunday and order plants in their original name. But anyway, I'm sat in the headmaster's garden at school and I'm <laughs> stunned by my French result. I'm devastated. I'm crying. And I said to him I wanted to go to Oxbridge, but I didn't really. It's just that my sister had gone there and I felt that that was the standard. And actually that was a watershed moment because – that summer, I flew to Peru, where my father was living. And I think the whole experience made me draw a line on what were the original academic perceptions. And when I began applying, I don't know, Alex, if you can remember all the places that you applied for. I, I know I had a, a conversation with my sister. And she said to me, oh, Durham, that's, it's cold there. It's up north. And actually, as it happened, Durham is a place that I have spent, well, a considerable amount of time since and was life-changing and career-changing for me. But I, I applied in this order, Bristol, Exeter, Manchester, Cardiff, Leeds, to do French and Italian, but in that little red book, I was seriously considering Bath University studying Russian with international management. Where the hell would we be now if you were running NATO? I'd have been happy at Bath, I think, but there's a lot to happen, obviously, between Bristol, Exeter, Cardiff, Manchester, Leeds, and and ending up in Exeter but what what did you put down on that form because you, you, you know let's be honest when you put down five places you don't want to go to all of those five places do you you've got your top and then you if you mess it up that's where you're going to go and the rest are just like there'll be so many people that will have ended up at those other places but their heart wouldn't have been in it at the moment that they did the form well, it's funny you should say that, Tony, and I've got a, a hunch that that's not the only time I'm going to use this particular phrase, but that's a great set of universities you applied to because I have visited friends at all of those universities and you would have been happy at all of them, I reckon. And what a great subject. <laughs> what did I apply to? So Exeter was my second choice. My first choice was Nottingham, which in retrospect would have been a much better idea in terms of uh, the physics side of it. I would have done much better there. I just know it. It was the world center for MRI technology. We now get CT scans, MRI scans. We take them for granted. The technology was being finalized at Nottingham University Physics Department at the time. I also applied to Sussex University. That That's a university you never really hear about so much. I only hear about it because that's where Tony Banks from Genesis studied chemistry uh, for a while until he, he took a break to, to join his friends uh, in a band, and, and he's never gone back. Guildford. Wow. And there was another one. Yeah, Guildford was nice. I mean, You can't lovely. even remember them all, can you? <laughs> there were four of them. And the fifth one was yeah, Can Canterbury, the University of Kent at Canterbury. Lovely location. Any of those universities I would be happy with, but in retrospect – Academically, I'd have done better at Nottingham, but overall, I am 100% percent 
happy with my choice of Exeter. I loved my time at Exeter rather too much, which is why I'm now not Dr. Borchardt, never became a professor of physics, <laughs> for reasons we may return to. Yeah. But I had, a good time. I had a very good time at Exeter. I don't think I would have been happy at Manchester or Cardiff, but they were they were token selections. I, I know that the grades I was offered by Exeter as you know the minimum uh, i actually thought yeah i can get that but looking back on it now for a university that's supposed to be so good i think what they asked me to achieve was was pretty rubbish actually so all i had to get was bcc and i got abc nice. so i waltz on in to exeter but but at some point you see if we backtrack, I bypassed Bristol, which was at the top of the list. And I can think there were two reasons for that. One, I looked at the Italian course. So I was going to have to spend a year in Italy because I was beginner's Italian. And I'd spent a lot of time in France. But the Italian course, which they they tried to scrap it, I think, a few years ago. And That's there were protests. No wonder, because it's a bloody easy ride. One of the options is studying Italian cinema. So you just watch movies. It, it's, and I thought, right, I'll have a piece of that. Thank you very much. And the other real set of reasons to decide to go to Exeter was that my best friend at school, Christian Vaughan, was, was going, and a couple of other people from from school, John Dovey, very good friend, uh, Barry Fisher and Paul Sheehan, they were going. So I don't recall other than trips to Cornwall, trips to Devon as a child. But I think I had a gut feeling. You can see a veering towards the West Country there. But I think it was those two factors, the people that were going and the breakdown of the Italian course that meant that Bristol, we never got to meet, although I did end up working there as well. Can you recall how you zoned in on Exeter and also what grades they asked you to get so how did i zone in growing up in the vale of evesham exeter's easiest just a couple of hours down the m5 none of this a303 nonsense that you londoners have to deal with why exeter and what were the grades and it's it's ironic really because i wasn't academically gifted enough to become a doctor to study physics any university doesn't really matter where you get an a level they just want you i was offered bc they didn't care about the chemistry. They just wanted a B and C in in maths and physics. It didn't matter which order they're in. And I attended a university interview. It wasn't compulsory. And after I attended the uh, university interview where Professor Meads, who I'm sure is no longer with us because he'd be about 130 now, he asked a question. I seem to remember, if you were in a rowing boat and you had a bottle and you dropped it into the lake, would the lake surface go up or down <laughs> i think i worked out the answer a couple of years ago took a lot of thinking the answer is hardly anything after my stellar performance at the open day in stroke interview my offer was taken down to two c's just needed two c's wow as a result wow. i didn't really need to do any work but i was i was going to go to exeter and so what did i do in my sixth form well first of all it was a single sex school it was a boys school until the sixth form it goes co-ed now, having grown up with a, I don't think this is going to surprise you to say this, Tony, but a rather, let's face it, annoying convent-educated sister, when I 
talk to people about Exeter University. They said, what do you study? I said, physics. They said, wow, most difficult degree subject there is. Is it? Who knows? I would have thought it'd be Russian. Um, but with international management. <laughs> with international Cold War management. Yeah. But I don't, I know a lot of doctors and I've never heard somebody say that law or medicine, which you'd expect to be pretty tough degrees, are the toughest subjects. In fact, a good friend of mine studied law at university and converted to medicine because she thought law was too easy. Just box ticking. Medicine, I mean, you've got to be pretty clever to become a doctor, but I haven't heard anybody say that's the most difficult discipline at the university. I hear it about subjects like physics. So I was on to a pretty tough, tough thing. But in the sixth form, the discovery of the, the opposite sex, which I didn't understand then, I didn't understand in my first marriage. I, in fact, I think it was only about five years ago that I really finally worked out how to handle and thrive with women. I'm not claiming to be a modern-day Lothario. I did physics because I loved it. I still do. I was never going to be Professor Borchard, not even Dr. Borchard. So my two C's meant I discovered women. I just, I became president of the Photographic Society. I spent most of the sixth form in the darkroom and in the computer lab. And in retrospect, does it matter what you study at university? I mean, 40% of my lot became accountants, the rest physics teachers. Only about 3% of them probably became physicists. I was never going to be the next Patrick Moore or Professor Brian Cox. So this is extraordinary. Alex only has to get two C's, and I have to get B, C, C. One thing that I think is staggering is there was no interview for me, and not only that, I didn't even go for an open day. I went to Leeds for an open day, which at that point – to the best of my knowledge, was the furthest north I'd ever been coming from Chessington in Surrey. I was confused by my day at Leeds. My gut feeling was that I wasn't comfortable. It was a long day. I remember getting a National Express coach from Victoria, I think, in London. And one of the things about Italian at Leeds was that it was a five-year course. You had to do a year of beginner's Italian all by itself, which, if you think about it, makes perfect sense because at every other university, such as Exeter, you're only going to do 30 weeks of learning. Then they're going to send you in your second year abroad to Italy, which is stupid. But the thought of doing five years at Leeds, much as I was looking forward to going to university, ruled it out. But the staggering thing is, look at this. No interview. I don't attend an open day. I make the biggest decision of my life to go there. And Exeter University accept me. We're not even met. (laughs) 35 years later, do you have any regrets about choosing Exeter? I have no regrets about choosing Exeter. What you have to be grown up about, I think, in life is when you say it's the biggest decision of your life and – thank goodness I went there and it changed everything. You don't know how the path would have led you in other directions if you'd taken them. I mean, it seems to me that I was always on a destiny to end up in the northeast of England, which I 
I did. So I nearly applied to Durham, but didn't, but end up spending much of my working life there. I'll tell you another of the biggest driving decisions to go to Exeter University, and it's probably at this point that Alex and I should put some cards on the table without over-egging, and that is I'd heard about the university radio station. So Alex and I know each other really through what was University Radio Exeter URE and is now Expression FM. One of the things about university life is that myths and legends often sell the place to you. And all I'd ever wanted to do was radio. One thing I'd say is that we won't spend every episode of this podcast talking about university radio station. I think we'll do some occasional specials on it because it was such a huge part of our lives. And there are so many stories and characters that came out of it. But I think notwithstanding the two things that I'd flagged up earlier, which was that my friends were going there and the Italian course looked an absolute doddle. The biggest driver was that I'd heard they had a student radio station. And for some reason, I'd found out it was supposed to be really good. And I'd even put it on my UCA form, I want to work in radio. And then I think in brackets I put, but I'd be happy to be an interpreter in Brussels as well. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great being an interpreter in Brussels? I mean, I love Brussels. So I, mean, I have been an interpreter, and that would have been a great parallel career. Well, it's the only bit of academic research I did into what you could do with like French and Italian, and obviously to go and work at the EU, where, strangely, I think that was probably my first understanding of, of what stress and pressure were meant in the working life because i i think i read an article about these interpreters that were getting i I, for some reason 1989 money i recall it as being 200 quid a day which is probably colossal and they would work i I think in 30 minute blocks and with headphones on constantly translating and then they would all burn out and i thought yeah i could do that and at the time i was very very good uh, French in time it's the role of University Radio Exeter which certainly for Italian meant that I just lost interest fast in in academic life but that was a, a massive massive driver to go there when you get your A-level results and you're in the reality starts did you go straight to exeter that autumn alex or did you take a year off i'm a born traveler i mean i'm only a quarter english to start with so i was never going to go straight to university i was going to have that gap year just like my father had he spent his gap year in vienna which happens to be my favorite city in the world my grandfather spent the whole of the 1930s in vienna he was half German, half Polish. So he suddenly moved to London with a day's notice in 1938. Perhaps you can guess why he did that. But I think it's not going to come as a surprise when I say I went to Vienna for my gap year. I got a job with uh, the brother-in-law of former, a very close uh, friend. I'm not going to say girlfriend of my of my father because she's been with him since 1961. And I think he was there in 1962. So no, a friend 
of my father, introduced me to a brother-in-law who ran Argo Chem, a import-export company that bought from Romania, Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia. These country names don't even exist anymore, and sold to the West, Western Europe, as it was called then, and the United States. And I got a job as as a computer boffin. I reconfigured PCs, but a nice sideline and being an interpreter on business trips to Prague and, and Budapest. Loved it. Was paid an absolute pittance, but it was enough to, to live in the, the student accommodation, which, again, a friend of a friend had somehow wangled without me being at the University of Vienna. So gap year in Vienna, I, I deferred. So I made an application, not for Cambridge, to my to my five shortlisted universities. They all gave me offers. Why did I choose Exeter? Because I loved the campus. It just it just felt wonderful visiting around. Most campuses I visited on my own. That one I went to with my mother. Uh, she enjoyed the trip. Maybe that just gave it an additional um, an additional endorsement. <laughs> endorsement. You know, you know my mother. She's a complicated person, but she's also just. Yeah, she's also bonkers, but she's one of the most brilliant people I know. And she's still alive and kicking and thriving and, and still bonkers. But she is the most quick-witted person I know. I love Exeter. Um, from the second I arrived is the answer. It's an important answer. Let's just pause there for a second because we tap into something that we've probably all forgotten, that much of that conversation when we come to episode two, Freshers Week 1989, so much revolves in meeting people around that line, what did you do in your year off? Now, for myself, given that I was so young, it was inevitable that I would not go straight to Exeter. There's something wonderfully smug though about having the grades in the bag you've got a year 15 months in reality ahead of you and a couple of your best mates from school have had to go back because they've not quite got the grades and there's no way in the world I was going to do what some of my more serious friends did which was they started building their career and took jobs often with their parents a very junior level but in a very established industry I spent the summer of 1989 serving burgers, flipping burgers, flipping burgers I was. In a way, that was, I wouldn't say it was a dream, but I'd grown up going to Chessington Zoo every summer, and therefore it was inevitable that I would work there. My sister worked there too. After that, I worked briefly in boots in Kingston-upon-Thames in the sound and vision department only because I wanted staff discount to buy myself i think i spent 600 pounds on a whopper of a stereo and it had a multi-track six cd player in it which at the time was groundbreaking kids with your downloads on on the 5th of january 1989 i flew to bogota colombia where my dad was now living and i stayed there to the end of february came back had great delight, as you could in those days, of signing on the doll. Wow. And I make no bones about that. I'm not ashamed to admit that. And then I got what was a, a fantastic job, a canvas holidays courier at a site they call Pont Levesque, but is actually a place called Muyo. It's about 45 minutes from Deauville. 
and I was the rep there until Bastille Day, 1989, the 200th. I wasn't kicked off. That was just the end of the contract. Then I came home and worked boots again for the summer. And before you know it, it's October. But that year off was beautiful, life-enriching, but connected to Exeter University, I'm tickled by the thought that very early on in that year, they send you the reading list of stuff that you're going to be studying in the first year at Exeter University. So for me, that was largely French French literature. There wasn't any Italian to read because I hadn't done any Italian. Does anybody do anything with that reading list that they send you in the year off or if it's the summer holidays before you go straight after A-levels? I, I don't think they do. <laughs> I remember it was okay. Fundamentals of Physics, two huge volumes, which is everything you need to know at, at, at undergraduate level about physics. Basically, it has your whole course mapped out in two volumes. Still haven't finished them. They're on the shelves at my parents' house, and some incredibly dull book about electromagnetism, the pioneer of which was John Maxwell. He still is the dude when it comes to how everything <laughs> electromagnetic works. Still haven't read them, which is perhaps why I'm not a physics professor. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never even opened or bought some of them. And you learn smart when you get to university. You know, you might not buy all those books and pick them up secondhand or share them. Or as we started to do in Italian, only read them in translation and not in the original. You, you were quite academic in the sixth form, weren't you? Did anybody at the time think that one day you'll be Dr. Antonius Hornus? See, I was very focused in what I wanted to do, and that was radio. And I spent a lot of my time, particularly in the sixth form, alone at home. My my mum was uh, my guardian, but she wouldn't really be there at the weekends. And... I was just focused, play sport for the school at the weekend, study hard and listen to the radio. And I I think I conditioned my mind early that the degree was something to put in my back pocket, but I was always going to do radio if I could get into it. There, there does come a point in my university life where I've gone from being very, very good linguistically to only caring about radio. But I suppose that's a reflection that many people will have in that their aspirations do change, particularly if you're on a three-year university cycle where the first year is exciting, the second year you've got to knuckle down a bit, and then the third year you've got to almost pick a career. I mean, it seems a relatively short period of time. Maybe those guys at Leeds had it right. But in that period before you start Exeter University, I look back on it now as a time and one of the few where it was one of those rare, long, extended periods of time where you actually switched off in life. And in terms of you can live at home and pay your mum a fiver rent, you've got nobody pressurising you after a pressurised school life, you don't really have bills to pay, you can travel the world, wake-up calls are still to come. (laughs) But there is still a practicality ahead about Exeter University and one of those might involve a grant. So I was one of the last years, I think, to get a full grant, and I got one. And, of course, when I turned up at Exeter University, most of my contemporaries didn't need one. But the other is applying for halls of residence. I really don't know how 
I made that decision and I ended up in Murray House in Doriard. I can't remember, Alex, the room number, but I've got a feeling it was G136. That might be fiction or it might be true, but I do not know how I ended up there. I you know do what? remember applying well in advance. You know, I'm going to get this in here. And funnily enough, a month before university life began, they wrote to us and said, it's all oversubscribed, you might have to share, to which I wrote back and said, no thanks. And that, that actually was a problem of our era. But you, uh, were, at, you were at the other end of campus, weren't you? Yeah, it's interesting because, again, it's, it's, hindsight's wonderful in retrospect, looking at the campus, and there were, there were great halls, all of them, but each had their own particular flavour. I think you fitted in really well into Duryard, and I fitted in really well into Hope Hall, which is no longer a hall of residence, sadly. Duryard is still Duryard. The, the buildings aren't. They've all been demolished and replaced with, with something that doesn't have concrete cancer, and you're not sharing... 12 rooms to a grotty kitchen and and one shower that doesn't work but hope hall was a set of of 19th century or or, well victorian buildings that had been part of the the estate um you were part of the duryard estate that was all farmland um there were a few buildings Uh, one of them had a unexploded world war ii bomb under it until only two years ago that was fun removing that but hope hall loved it and, you know, in life, if, if there's any one thing that we all need, it is hope. So that has sort of set me on my way. And when academically I wasn't flourishing, it was hope that got me through. It's why I never got depressed about my failings. I just I just love my time at Exeter and the, and the fact that I didn't go on to become a, a, a doctor in theoretical physics has never bothered me. But what hope, drew you to hope? Was it something from the open day? Was it something in the uh, prospectus? I mean, I cannot recall how I made that decision. You know, I can remember very specifically why I chose it. So the prospectus made no bones about the fact that Duryard, in particular, a building called Jesse Montgomery, and (laughs) you both got to know quite well, uh, was the stereotypical Jerry uh, Jesse Montgomery Sloan might mention her in a future episode. I deliberately didn't want to go to Duryard because it was too posh. You may have noticed I've got a bit of a plummy voice and I'm considered to be a Sloan by many people. And I didn't want to spend my time at university with what my father calls the PLUs, the right kind of people, the people like us. What I like about University of Exeter is, unlike going to a cathedral school, you meet people from all walks of life. You you meet... In, 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 you meet the uh, people who've grown up in council estates. You meet people who who, who don't really get to see their father because he's disappeared off to Peru or something, you know, very far flung. You you get you get Germans, you get Chinese. Um, it is multiculturality. That is a word, I believe. Before the concept was was even arrived at a generation later. For hope, I, you're saying for hope. Hope, hope was yeah, the because because I've got to say in 1989. Let's call a spade a spade. Exeter was one of, the, you know, we come from a limited, limited thinking about that. But Exeter University was one of the least multicultural and most stereotypical that you've outlined there. 
places. It, it, this is the this is the irony of it. You know, I met some wonderful international students, but if you look at the diversity, we were all straight, middle class, and white, basically. Uh, Devon still is actually. It's it's Devon is not diverse, but there was multiculturality. If you if you look for it, my, my first crush, I went to ballroom dancing classes with her, Dagmar from Hanover. Hope, I loved it, next door to Lopez. And you've talked to, you've mentioned the existence of University Radio Extra. It wasn't the reason I came to Exeter. But when I decided I was going to go there, when I reread the prospectus, I knew that as soon as I got to campus, I'd be making a beeline for that studio. I wasn't so much interested in being on the air. For me, it was the engineering side, the, the knob twiddling, the production. Uh, and I, I imagined a possible future in Radio 4 or, you know, something at Broadcasting House. I don't think it was the prospectus, but I do recall receiving something which I think possibly the curiously named Guild, in other words, Student Union, to every other university in the country, had put together. And in it, there was a piece about the university radio station which i read over and over again in my excitement before we made it to exeter but the other thing that i read in there which i think must have sealed it for doriard was it described i don't know who wrote it but it must have been a member of the guild or perhaps an ex-student who was a friend of somebody there, but they described Duryard as being like a holiday camp in the summer. And that was music to my ears, especially as I'd spent the summer of 1989 as a campsite courier. So <laughs> I chose the university to be on the radio, and I chose my hall of residence to be on summer holiday. And that, I think, probably reflects on a lot of people's time at Exeter University. Next time, Freshers' Week 1989. And I'm mindful of the fact that if you're listening to this, you may well be outside our sphere of influence, which is, for me, four years, 1989 to 93. But particularly with the way the university radio station was built, but also other factions around campus. The myths and legends of the university extend before our period, so a lot of what we learned at the university radio station was anecdotes handed down, kind of old school. And, of course, there are themes, buildings, people that outlive our experience that are universal to anybody that went there, whether it be Greasy Joe's, Friday Night Lemmy, hopefully in time we will stop by at all of these places. But next time, Freshers' Week 1989. So until then, in times of joy and times of sorrow... We will always see it through. I don't care what comes tomorrow. We can face it together, like old friends do. For more on this podcast, head over to secretsofaghostwriter.com. 
Still in Love with the X is a horny media and publishing production.